The Premiere On Podcast is brought to you today by our friends at Java Remix. Java Remix is the perfect blend of 100% organic Arabica coffee infused with nano-emulsified CBD. Cannabidiol, or CBD, is fast gaining a reputation as a remedy to treat everything from anxiety to depression, inflammation to acne. And now it's available in your morning cup of Java. Go to javaremix.com right now and browse through their available products. Java Remix offers traditional ground coffee as well as single-serve K-cups in both regular and decaf. And if you aren't a coffee person, Java Remix also offers CBD-infused teas, bath bombs, and body scrubs. And for our Prove Me Wrong listeners, go online right now, that's javaremix.com, and enter the promo code PROVEMEWRONG for a 20% discount off your entire shopping experience. And Java Remix also offers free shipping on all orders over $40. Once again, that's javaremix.com. Promo code prove me wrong. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Prove Me Wrong podcast. I am your host, Pete Lieb. I'm glad you're all on board with me again today. I'm going to get back into the subject of government control again today. Control of your actions, your environment, even your thoughts. Are there sects of people in the world actually powerful enough to impact what you think, what you do, how you live, without your knowledge? To what purpose is that control useful to them? What's the motivation? Is there anything you can do about it, or are you just a pawn in a game you didn't even realize that you were playing? To discuss this with me today, my guest is Nick Redfern. Nick is a full-time author and journalist, specializing in a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, UFO sightings, government conspiracies, alien abductions, etc., etc. He's incredibly prolific. He writes regularly for the London Daily Express newspaper, 40 and Times, Fate, and UFO magazine, as well as numerous television appearances as well. Among his many exploits, Nick has investigated lake monsters of Scotland, vampires, werewolves, aliens, sea serpents, like I said, prolific. Well, who better to, you know, to have on the, the show and, and talk to me today? You can Google Nick and his books, especially Control, MK Ultra, Chemtrails, and the Conspiracy to Suppress the Masses on Amazon. That's what we're going to talk about today. And you can also find him on the internet as well. You can Google Nick Redfern and a lot of information comes up. Welcome, Nick, to the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Hey, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. So there are many things that you've written about. You are actually somebody who I, I wanted to talk about this idea of government control and conspiracy. But then when I when I kind of looked into you as a whole, I thought, wow, there are probably nine things there that I would love to talk to you about. <laughs> but I'm interested in... How did you get started with with this research? How did you? Where did you? Uh, what was the genesis of what you do now? Well, uh, I think the thing more than anything else, when it comes to conspiracies, um, it actually goes back to my uh, father. He was um, in the British Royal Air Force, and mm-hmm. he worked as a radar mechanic. And um, his job was basically to make sure that the radar, you know, the, the uh, equipment and the screens were working properly, and if not. 
to correct them. And he was involved in three radar-based UFO cases um, back in England, on the east coast of England, at a military place, uh, place called um, Neatis Head, which is uh, a now-closed-down military base, but um, it was open throughout the Cold War. And the radar operators brought in the radar um, repairers, if you like, mm -hmm. um, of, like my father, and because they thought, you know, they were, they were malfunctioning because there are all these weird things going across the screens. And it turned out there was actually nothing wrong with the screens at all. And they were really were picking up these high-flying, um, fast-maneuvering, hovering objects, which clearly, this was back in the 50s, there's no way, you know, that we had anything that really had the ability to perform those kind of maneuvers and... Um, you know, performance. Mm -hmm. And this went on for three nights and everybody was told not to talk about it. And, and my dad didn't say anything until I was about 11 or 12. And um, he told me the story then of how they, they sent fighter planes up and some of the pilots saw these sort of classic flying saucer type craft high in the skies. And um, as I said, everybody was sworn to secrecy, reminded that they'd signed the government's uh, back then. It was called the Official Secrets Act. And basically, you don't talk about what you did in the military or else. Mm -hmm. And so that's what really got me interested. And then when I finished school, um, I went into a, a magazine, uh, like a um, kind of like a like a, the kind of people, um, you know, might like magazines on mm -hmm. um, entertainment, sort of uh, music and cinema and interviews, um, you know, the sort of kind of people you'd see on yeah. the front of uh, People or Us Weekly, that kind of thing. And I, so I thought, you know, why not try and combine the background that I developed in journalism and apply it to sort of investigative journalism um, in the field of things like UFOs and then that sort of spilled more over into conspiracy fields. So that's kind really of, um, of how it all really started, if you like. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that the way that the world has changed because there was a, a, a recent UFO sighting, right? I, and I can't remember the, the Air Force, uh, the gentleman's name, but that's on YouTube all over the place now. You know, the, the video of that um, that flying disc is now there, or that cigar shape. I, I think it's the Tic Tac is what he called it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so the world yeah, has changed. Oh, yeah, it has. I mean, that's interesting because it's actually, you know, military footage. And I mean, right. you go back 40, 50 years ago, you would you would not see that, you know, on the TV news in, say, 1956 or 66 or even 76, 86, you know. And I think it's intriguing as to how things have changed in the last couple of years, you know, with the revelations that the government's had for a number of years, this um, sort of like a think tank uh, slash research group looking into UFOs and, you know, they got radar material, film footage from pilots, mm -hmm. and um, and it was all sort of successfully hidden for a long time. But I think, from my perspective, the most intriguing thing about all of this is the fact that today, unlike, say, 10, 20 years ago, people like me who investigate UFO cases aren't sort of perceived as crazy people with no lives, you know. Um, we're actually... You know, you, you can see 
um, regularly on mainstream news, you know, stories right. about the latest UFO encounters. And, you know, that has to be a positive thing to go from that angle where well, these guys are just nuts talking about aliens and flying saucers and it's totally swung around the other way to where it's actually quite respectable to talk about ufos as i said mainstream media and just about everywhere else the genie's out of the bottle at this point in, in this in this yeah. internet age in this age of immediate information at your fingertips they cannot contain it any longer so it's, it's almost one of those things like well the, the horse is out of the barn people are uploading their yeah. videos on youtube people are having chat rooms uh, you know uh, they're having groups on facebook you know and different websites with chat rooms they cannot control that message anymore it, it back in the 50s 60s who were you going to tell that you had a, a ufo encounter you, you would tell the local sheriff or something and he'd he'd write down that you were a kook and that was it now with a couple of keystrokes, you are around the world with millions of other people who who believe you, you know, who aren't looking at you like you're crazy. So you know, that's definitely a, a benefit to me of the internet age. There aren't a whole lot of them, yeah. to me, benefits. But Yeah, I, th I think, you know, I agree with everything you say. But I think the one downside of it all is that when it comes to the internet and you're talking about controversial topics, you know, it's very easy and simple in today's world for somebody just to and i'm not talking about just you know hackers um you know civilians i'm talking about sort of government personnel in today's world you know it's very easy to follow somebody's you know every step you know every email for every sure facebook message so you know that that is that is a downside you know when we're living in that world and and so many people have just sort of resigned themselves to, well, that's how it's got to be. Well, you know, for me, I don't see why it has to be like that. You know, if you're not doing anything, you know, breaking the law, you're not doing this or that, there's no reason you should be watched, you know. But well, it doesn't always work like that in today's world, unfortunately. Well, and, and unfortunately, again, there are good and bad. And the bad is that you can't, trust anything you see on the internet because people because mm. anybody can attribute anything to anyone i could put a picture of john of donald trump just using an example and i could put a quote of hitler next to him and 95 percent of the people who see that meme online will believe that donald trump said that you know what i mean and and so because they have no way of uh, objectively disputing it or, or researching it on their own or they don't need to you know everything's so easy it's at their fingertips they just believe everything. So you see photos that are doctored, that are you know obviously faked. You see uh, phrases that are that are miscategorized to somebody than when they were actually someone else. You know, two hundred years ago, whatever. So we're in a we're in an age where you have a lot of stuff at your fingertips, but you really have to be careful where you get the information and is that information real? Is it true? You're absolutely right. You know, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, you know, when you're looking at the latest headline and the headline here and this and that you're right you just have to think well <coughs> excuse me where did the information come right. from you know what's the originating source but a lot of people don't think about that they just see the accompanying photograph and think oh cool you know i'll share that with yeah. 125 people <laughs> on here or on there you know? and it goes viral and, and there's three million people looking at it within you know yeah, 25 exactly. minutes yeah 
And of course, the big downside really is that we are living in an age where, you know, investigative journalism, I won't say it's going away, but, you know, a lot of newspapers and, you know, struggling because everything's free, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, they're struggling. And the ones who aren't struggling, you know, the mainstream media, you know, get knocked here, there and everywhere. And so you have to kind of wonder, you know, what's it going to be like? 50 years from now, you know, is sort of mainstream media even going to exist, you know? Well, jump into the subject of control then. I had a guest on my show, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, and he was a young guy. You know, you and I are pretty much contemporary. He was a younger guy. And to him, the internet revolution and RFID chips implanted into all of us, these were all positives. You know, these were all going to make our life easier. We were going to be able to get things much easier. We're going to be, you know, we wouldn't have to worry about um, having a key for your front door because that chip in your hand will be an automatic door lock. And while, you know, you're definitely respectful, that wasn't something I agreed with, right? That is not, (laughs) maybe I'm just old school. So it is interesting to see, uh, how kind of that, that younger generation, he wasn't even 30, how those younger people coming up, they see this technology and this this internet as a great thing is going to make life easier, whereas somebody maybe a little longer than the tooth, like myself, sees that as government monitoring me, and I don't like it. So just to kind of get into it then, into the subject of government control, you know, who wants it, how they get it, who are the players right now, Nick? I mean, whether it be private co- corporations or government agencies, who is doing the majority of this control? Well, that's, that's a good question, and by that, I mean that's you know, when you look into the world of control today, I think you can make a good case that, you know, when we talk about the government does this or the government does that, I think very often it's actually not right. government agencies. You know, we start looking into, you know, powerful corporations and companies and old families and big money, but, you know, they're kind of the the manipulators as I see them you know, the the kind of people who can achieve things and alter perceptions on various issues. And in some ways, even without government actually realizing what's going on, you know, in other words, the idea of, um, you know, I don't sort of like to use words like secret government because it kind of, you know, you become sort of a target for people saying, oh, you're just a, you know, conspiracy crazy guy. Right. Um, but I do think there is something to that angle, the idea of sort of ancient secret societies, big money, old families, uh, banking, economy, people in the economy, um, people who do have the ability to turn things on their head and people go along with it. And I, I think that kind of thing actually happens far more than we realize you know um people are very good at whipping up um you know fear and paranoia um just just by you know writing an article i mean you know you look at the whole issue with viruses right now Mm -hmm. i mean you know i'm not saying it's not dangerous time right now you know with the coronavirus and everything but i mean if you actually look at the number of people in america who die from regular flu every year I mean, that's a huge number of people, you sure. know, and, um, and don't talk to people, don't get close to them, don't touch other people. It's easy to change people's mindset to where 
that you know you could I could see easily if this went on and on well let's just stay in the house and never leave it you know which would be wonderful these people who are doing all the manipulating if we never left home you know <laughs> so I I see I hear a lot and you were talking about secret societies and I hear a lot about that and you you see it a lot in in documentaries and things like that and I hear about the Rothschilds all the time and I hear about you know George Soros all the time I've never yeah. actually seen any of these people so it's, and I and I'm assuming most normal people have not. So that's why it becomes so hard to wrap your brain around that somebody that you've never seen is you know behind closed doors somewhere moving our lives like chess pieces with these unlimited funds. You know that where did you get these funds? Yeah. Where 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 is this wealth coming from? Could, do you have any insight on that at all? Where are these people? How, how do they maneuver? What makes it real for the average person? Well, I mean, that's a good point, but I do think a lot of it comes through through the media, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very easy when you've got powerful figures on the news talking about this or that, and which could be dangerous to us, you know, um, and people very, very quickly buy into what they're seeing and what they're hearing, you know, when you see somebody on the news saying, you know, don't touch doors when you go into the gas station <laughs> or or wherever. Don't do this, don't that. Stock up on this and stock up on that. People, you know, it doesn't actually take, you know, um, even if it's a, there's a conspiracy behind doing this, you actually don't have to do much to ensure that that conspiracy angle, if you like, and this portion of the control aspect of it all, you don't really need to do much at all. It's like a tidal wave that just suddenly spreads and spreads. You know, I mean, I spoke to my dad a couple of days ago and I said, uh, you know, how you doing? He's like, oh, it's all over the news, you know, coronavirus and, um, you know, telling people if you go into the local stores, you know, don't touch the door when the person before you. And, um, and you know, it's very easy for somebody who has the ability to have a great deal of visibility, whether it's in the media, you know, mainstream or not. But people listen. Mm-hmm. And as I said, nothing of a major nature has to be done to create that tidal wave. If you've got the money to be on the news and warn people of this and terrify them and you spread the story here, there and everywhere, almost overnight, you know, it's like a click of the finger that um, everybody kind of gets into that mode that it's like the closest thing you could imagine to the zombie virus or whatever. No doubt. It is scary. And, and I don't think people even know, even realize it. They don't even think about it because they're going by their, about their normal life. That a company that essentially has no way of making, like Facebook, they don't sell anything. You know, they give you they give you the app for free. They're not selling anything except they're selling you. You know, they're selling you to others. Then you don't even you know you don't make that connection. And you'll be yeah. you know you'll look at something on on your phone. You'll look at something in Google, right? And then you'll go to Facebook, and that thing will be in your Facebook timeline almost That's instantaneously. Right. Is there? And and you're like, oh, I was just thinking about that, or oh, I just researched that, or oh, I just said that out loud yeah. in a in a room, and it's on your Facebook timeline. That to me, and, it, and they have so much power and so much influence. Mm-hmm. And again, people don't even realize that they're being manipulated or maneuvered without even you know being conscious of it. Yeah, you're right, and I mean, you know, that that's why I sort of view the you know the internet as um, 
a good thing and sometimes a bad thing. And and I don't mean that because I'm of like a certain age. You know, <laughs> it's you know I I'm, as a writer and a journalist and a lecturer, you know, I use the internet sort of nine to five every day. You know, Monday to Friday usually when I'm working. You know, doing books and articles and whatever. But in saying that, you know, there is this angle where, you know, just about everything on you and about you can be accessed. Mm -hmm. And when the people who are accessing it are actually the people who really shouldn't have a right to do it, you know, if you've not done anything, you know, that's, that's wrong or whatever, nobody should be watching you, you know. So th that is the issue I have there you know i don't have actually any issues you know with somebody you know if you've got um i know diabetes or something like that and you know somebody and wants a, a chip you know with all mm -hmm. their medical information in them you know if they want that you know that that's not so bad I but agree. when it turns into a chip that's actually you know allows someone to monitor your every movement just because they want it you know that's that's where, for me, you know, the line should be drawn. And, and you know, you mentioned like a, a younger generations sort of growing up in a world where, you know, they didn't grow up anything like us. You know, we'd be out to like eight or nine on your bike, drive, mm -hmm. riding around town with your friends, you know. Um, you'd, get, you'd let your kids do that tonight. The cops will be around and, <laughs> you know, grilling you for being bad parents. Well... It didn't hurt us, you know. No, but we're, not at we're all. told, but we're told that, um, that that it's not okay. I mean, it's like when when I was like eleven or twelve, me and my uh, school friends, you know, we'd be we'd be out uh, on our bikes, and I'd come home, you know, with scratches and grazes on my knees and arms and elbows. My dad would be like, "What did you do?" Oh, I fell off my bike bike again, you know. <laughs> and um, you cannot do that today. And but there's no reason to tell people you shouldn't do that. It's just another way of kind of dumbing down society and just making the kids, you know, sort of sit in their bedroom, texting. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes sort of a driving aspect of your entire life, then, you know, you wonder where things are going. I mean, Another angle, I saw something on the news, not recent, uh, just recently, I should say, about how for the first time, population ages in the US have actually started now to decline due to, like, diabetes and things mm -hmm. like that. You know, and it's almost as if, you know, there are people out there who just, yeah, just keep feeding them, you know, like cattle. You know, who cares if 100 years, you know, the average age is then like 55 or whatever, and nobody's, everybody's shuffling around. I mean, you know, that that could easily become the way of the future. You know, it's like food becomes your god, and you become the cattle to the farmer. You know? So what is the motivation for that? I mean, what is the motivation for those people who are pulling the strings? What is the motivation to have just a zombie-like sick populace with their heads in the in a in a computer screen and not unpro you know they're unproductive they don't they're not going out any longer they're no longer well I mean I guess they're no longer looking around them and seeing the injustices that are occurring but uh, I mean what what is the motivation for that I just maybe start there well I think to put it kind of like simply 
the less that we, the public, the people, the less that we have the ability to do things, the less that we're going to be a threat to pe other to people in charge, or you know we're going to be the kind of people who just don't care. You know mm -hmm. they don't want to they don't want to go voting. Well, why not? Well, because there's a new new, new kind of pizza out or something, and they'd rather. You know, I'm not being I'm not being sort of you know attacking people, but the fact is, you know, when it comes to things like um, elections today, I mean, a lot of people just don't want to bother. You know, they just don't care. Um, and I think, for one side, that's appalling. But for a lot of people in government, you know, who running for office and looking for this position, that position, if if we do not care about it and we really are just sitting at home watching TV or doing this or that, well, to these people running the, the stage, so to speak, it's perfect for them because you're lethargic, you're not doing anything about it, you know, you don't care about the state of the world, then it's, it's sort of a recipe for disaster in terms of, you know, losing the what we have or what we should have, you know, sort of freedom. And... The, the tragedy in all of this is that much of it isn't occurring by, you know, guys in black fatigues and army boots and knocking people's front doors down, you know, like, you know, in some um, communist world or whatever. Right. You know, it's, that, it's not happening like that. It's happening because slowly, bit by bit, we're allowing all this to happen. You know, I mean, I don't have kids. If I did, you know, I would encourage them to sort of, you know, go out with the friends on the bikes and we'd all go out on a Saturday afternoon or whatever for a couple of miles and, and have a good time, you know. And I think when you're in a world where you just accept, you, you accept your kids can't go out, otherwise you're going to get arrested for, you know, for being a bad parent. Or, you know, if you don't want to do, you know, you feel... You just don't want to go out anymore. You know, you just want to sit inside. Well, if we let that happen, it's actually our fault for allowing things to get into that sort of terrible state, really. And the news media has helped that. I mean, the news media has made it over the last 20, 30 years, has given you the full impression that it's not safe to be outside. It's not safe to be outside after That's dark. Right. And, yep. you know, there's there's somebody out there in a white van with, with blacked out windows waiting to abduct yeah. you. Even though there's always been bad people in the world forever, yeah. you know, that has not changed. But with that instantaneous social reach and that instantaneous media that we have or something that happens in California, we know about it here where I live in Florida, mm -hmm. immediately. That never happened before. So you were able to kind of live your, your localized life in relative, uh, you, know, you weren't in fear. Now something happens in you know the other side of the world, you're living in fear of it here. You know it, it wasn't something that happened here, so I, I I get it. We have sown those seeds. We have planted that seed that it is it is no longer safe to be outside. It is no longer safe to be in groups where other people are. You do have to be isolated, but we're going to make it so that all you have to do is say, you know, Alexa, turn on the TV and. We'll take care of you. You know, you just you just sit back and and relax, and we'll take care of you. That's a that's yeah, a. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Go ahead. You know, with a, with Alexa, I mean, again, the technology is not bad technology. You know, it can be extremely useful. You know, 
but again that you've got that angle of how easy you know it is actually to hack you know and and listen and who's doing the listening you know that yeah. that's the big problem with the modern day world you've got these sort of two sides of it one which could really enrich society if you know we weren't sort of going down this dumbed down society fashion um and, and if it all if all of this technology was all geared on the positive side we could have a really great civilization but that's whoever's doing this that's not what they want they want kind of um behind your doors live in fear watch what we want you to watch that's a pretty grim future really when you think about it right so in your book when you're talking about mk ultra and some of those you know the government programs that were really designed to kind of see how maybe you know mind control through hallucinogenic drugs or through hypnosis or things like that what what kind of impact that would have on people MK Ultra right now is so ingrained in the American consciousness. I mean, there are every movie about a spy, he was an MK Ultra. Every, you know, it's in movies, it's in popular television, it's everywhere. It's like it's the worst kept secret of all time. How did the how did MK Ultra, you know, what what's the deal there? How, how did it come into existence? What was what was the ultimate goal? Well, basically, I mean, MK Ultra was one of actually quite a few um, programs, secret programs, initiated from the late 40s onward, um, and which essentially were designed to try and understand how the human mind could be altered and manipulated. And although um, MK Ultra um, was was certainly the most well known and visible and infamous of all these programs and mk ultra was primarily a cia program but during the same time frame sort of late 40s onward um the army and the navy and the fbi and the cia as i said um were all looking into the ways and means to alter the human mind and certainly one of the um early examples was when um, there was a realization that LSD and things like sodium pentothal, the so-called truth drug, mm-hmm. you know, how they could affect people's minds, their moods, and even, you know, the, the stories about so-called Manchurian candidates, that, you know, that scenario of trying to create um, sort of mind-controlled assassins, you know, that was a genuine piece of the research. Um, and this went on for years, um, and it wasn't just in the United States. There's um, a place in the UK in the county of Wiltshire in the southwest of the country called Porton Down. And Porton Down is a place which, since the 50s, has worked heavily in the fields of hallucinogens, uh, mind-altering technologies. And today, you know, a lot of it has gone beyond, you know, the angle like you might see in an old... 1950s movie, you know, somebody slips something in somebody's cup of coffee or whatever. You know, it's not really at that stage today. I mean, we're talking about like ALF weapons and, you know, directed energy weapons, which can have, can wreak havoc with people's um, mindset, you know, um, depression, anxiety. Um, even technologies, you know, can disrupt your heart rhythms. Um, All of this technology 
exists. And of course, you know, if you talk about, you know, an agency feeding somebody LSD in the 1950s and somebody else today, you know, using, uh, um, if you like, ELF technology to create depression or anxiety, you know, you've got two very ways across, you know, a lot of different decades but the goal is the same. It's altering the mind of the targeted individual or the, the people. So, in other words, we actually have, you know, mind control programs today which are very different to in the old days, as I said, you know, slipping something in someone's drink or whatever. But there's also the angle of mind control just by creating depression by demonstrating how crappy the world is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of it as well. I mean, you look at all the the number of people today on like Xanax and Prozac and things like that, where because science, you know, society, they just cannot function in today's society. So, you know, and that in its, you know, if people who take my, um, Xanax, Prozac, etc., etc. You know, they're not being subjected to mind control, but it's definitely the alteration of the mood of the person. It's also rewiring the brain. I mean, what yeah. what what better yeah. way to do that? And I, I completely agree in terms of, you know, the LSD back in the 60s, 70s. That's one thing. But that that they went so far as to call that an illegal substance. Now, all of these are prescription medications. These are all legal. You can have them on your counter and you could be altering your brain chemistry. You can be completely changing who you are, and it's you know it's socially acceptable. Back then, yeah. if you were taking LSD, you were part of the counterculture. You were you know you were some punk kid, you know revolutionary. Yeah. You weren't a part of society. Now everyone now if you aren't taking Klonopin or Xanax, you're you're an outlier. You're absolutely right, and um, you know I mean I understand if people have anxiety, stress, depression, you know. They need medication, but the sheer level of it and mm-hmm. the abuse of it and the reliance on things like this, when which clearly didn't exist, you know, in just a few decades ago. It's just, you know, it's kind of just zoomed the requirement for things like this. And it's like a social disaster when you put huge amounts of tranquilizers and anxiety medication in the hands of people um, and those same people are told don't go outside or your kids will be killed you know literally and you're constantly bombarded with bad news I sometimes think that all they really want whoever they actually are but you know is what they want is a dumbed down society that does nothing really then goes to work and comes home and doesn't peek out the curtains for fear of what they might see, and then they get up for work and come home. Restaurants will be closed down because everything will be delivered to you, so you won't have the um, the kind of social interaction right. on a Friday night with all your friends. Now you'll sit at home, and somebody will be deli- you know you'll have thousands of people delivering food to you, which is how it's going now. You know, and again, there's um, a good and a bad thing there. You you know, if you've had a bad day at work have to somebody deliver your food is not a bad thing but when it starts to overwhelm and and kind of infringe upon what we've always done on a friday night you know going out have dinner and a few beers with your friends 
that could go away all because of these very subtle changes and manipulations to society and and the mood set as well. Well, they've created the disease that they can then treat. So they created the disease through the social media and through the through the constant bombardment of negative news stories, negative feelings that you get online. There are very few, you know, everything in terms of the interactions that you get online nowadays, not, I don't know, maybe not all of them, but the majority of them are negative in, in content. And so they create the monster, they create the disease, and then they treat the disease. And, and treating the disease actually makes them money. So... You know, they can they can treat your disease with those drugs that alter your chemistry while then still keeping you sick by just kind of constantly feeding you that negativity. And, you know, like you said, can't look outside. Something bad's out there. But you also mentioned um, in terms of and I just want to jump back real quick because I, I had it written down. Uh, you also had mentioned that potentially MKUltra working towards developing assassins. And I had heard some something somewhere in terms of like James Earl Ray or, or Lennon's uh, assassin as well, that they may have actually been those type of just mind-altered uh, individuals who weren't really aware of what they were doing. Well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of one of the scary things, you know, when you see these assassinations going on, you know, and have gone on for, for decades, and you find these sort of kind of subtle, weird issues in their backgrounds, you know, and they were tied to, you know, the connections here and connections there. And um, I, I guess the most visible one is like Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, right. um, kind of predictable, but I mean, you know, here was this guy who, you know, decided he was going to leave the U.S. and go to Russia and he was allowed to go and then he was allowed to come back with a wife um, whose father was actually attached to Russian intelligence, you know. And then, you know, he finds himself, you know, in the heart of this assassination. And unlike some people, I do think he was actually involved. But I think, I genuinely think he was also, you know, what he called himself, a patsy. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he realized that he was going to be sort of the the person that everyone perceived was the guilty party when he'd been sort of left in the lurch, you know. And, um, and then he, that's why he went on the run, I think, because he realized that um, he was going to be seen as the uh, as the single assassin. But, you know, I mean, the, the threads and connections that you have with these, a lot of these assassins, it's never straightforward. It's never the guy just did it because he didn't like that person or whatever. You know, you've got, like, for example, um, Oswald himself, you know, connections with people like David Ferry, who was obsessed with viruses, a guy who lived in New Orleans, mm -hmm. and Guy Bannister, a retired uh, FBI agent, who, for example, became good friends with Lee Harvey Oswald. And, um, you know, so you can, in a lot of these stories of assassinations and hitmen and things like this, there's so very often something in their background that makes you think, wow, you know, this, there's more to this, you know. Have there been any, in your opinion, any of those high-profile quote-unquote assassinations recently more recently i think the last one that i would have that i would have potentially linked with maybe kurt cobain but uh, has there been anything that you can can see uh, that wasn't just a, a government sponsored we sent the navy teal navy seal team six in there uh, but that may have been more of a, a conspiratorial assassination mm. well i mean one of the things 
piece I've written about on a number of occasions and which sort of particularly intrigues me is the um, the huge amount of people since 2001 onward who work in the field of microbiology, mm. um, viruses and bacteria and things like this. The sheer number of people in the microbiology, microbiology field who've died under mysterious circumstances like car accidents, airplane crashes, sudden heart attacks, um, suspicious suicides, this kind of thing. And that's the, the deaths of all these microbiologists, scientists, the sheer number is, you know, it's all over the world. I mean, you only have to Google, you know, microbiologist deaths and you'll see a huge number of cases to the point where, to me, I just cannot believe that all of these car accidents and plane crashes and suicides are actually what they are because this is a specific, you know, highly uh, regarded discipline in one field, microbiology. If it was people dying left, right and centre and they were all, you know, working in a field, that there were millions of them, mm -hmm. you know, working in a store or whatever, one particular store, well, you could say, well, that's, you know, that's just coincidence or whatever. But when you've got people in a clearly delineated field like microbiology and they're dropping like flies then for me that is one of the more recent examples of sort of um, a program secretly designed I think to wipe out certain figures in the microbiology field now who's doing this or why I don't know and I think most researchers who've looked into it don't you know some have said a foreign nation doing it to us you know are, are they trying to wipe out our microbiologists so we don't have the best people in the fields of like virology but whatever the answer is you know that there's no doubt that there is a real phenomenon in that field so there wasn't a connection between what they were working on there was simply a connection between the field that they worked in Right? It wasn't like they were all working on a specific virus or they were all working on the cure for cancer or something like that. It was just the fact that they were all microbiologists. Yeah, but they did all work, you know, in certain areas. And there were, there were a lot of really weird and disturbing um, stories floated around in 2001 when this started, where there were rumors that somebody was trying to sort of weaponize a virus mm -hmm. that would only target certain types of people. Which, you know, when you start going down in that path, you know, that's, you know, like Hitler. For sure. You know? So I think, you know, there's there's a lot to be learned from those, not just from the microbiologist deaths, but also for what they were actually working on. You know, that's one of the important things, you know, sort of um, lethal viruses and viruses designed to spread extremely quickly, that kind of thing. And you have to wonder, you know... Who is it, and what's the you know what's the goal in terms of wiping them out, and who's doing it? You know? <clears throat> that reminds me, and that brings to mind there are actually, and you may know this already. I mean, I, I had read something recently that there was something like twenty five, thirty or so holistic doctors who were who were working on and curing cancer yeah. holistically, and they were also turning up dead, you know, in by the dozens. Uh, being, you know, there was carjackings and there were suicides and there were quote unquote natural deaths, but they were all holistic doctors and who ma the majority of them were working in the field of cancer. And so that's kind of what I was, why I was asking that. And I don't know if you know that story. It's really up, up and down kind of the East Coast here for, for sure. 
um, in the Carolinas and in Florida. I don't know if you've yeah, heard about yeah, that. You're right. You're right. Um, that did actually happen. It, there was dozens over the last four or five years, yeah. six years, um, of people working in alternative health, holistic um, medication, things like that. And, of course, in today's world, you know, medicine is a gigantic mm-hmm. business. I hate to say it, but in many respects, it's gone from being a way of treating people and, you know, and getting rid of disease and so on. And it's more about big business and profits. And imagine if somebody working in alternative health came up with a cure for cancer, every cancer. That would be that would be one of the most greatest things on the planet that could happen. Absolutely. But for the people who reap in gigantic profits for cancer treatments on millions of people every year, I hate to say it, but would some of those people actually like the fact that it's fully cured? Or would they be looking at the you know, the lack of uh, profits and so on? You know, yeah. in today's world, it's a shame that we have to ask questions like that, you know. But the fact is we do. When we look at people dropping like flies mm-hmm. who are working in these arenas relative to things like cancer. Uh, you know, I have a, you know, a couple more minutes left. And so I want, did want to ask you about... Two things. I wanted to ask you first about chemtrails, and then I wanted to get into to NASA for just a, a little bit. But first, can you give me a little bit more understanding about chemtrails? Because I hear people, I hear a lot of talk about manipulating the weather or or maybe kind of seeding the atmosphere with, with this chemtrail. What is the purpose of the chemtrails? And how is it not just kind of a factor of maybe the condensation in the air? I don't know. Uh, can you clear that up for me? Well, to a degree, I can. Okay. <laughs> um, when it comes to chem- chemtrails, I'm actually someone who kind of sits on the fence a little bit. You know, a lot has been said about chemtrails, and a lot has been sort of suggested and speculated. But even within the con- you know the realm of conspiracy theorizing, there's a lot of um, sort of debate and different theories as to what's going on now. The obvious scenario for most people who may not know about chemtrails is they're saying, you know, they're thinking, well, they're just chemtrails, you know, they're just everyday chemtrails from regular planes that, um, and everybody's interpreting, or a lot of people interpreting them as chemtrails. Um, And the, the theory with chemtrails is basically chemical trails. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea being that highly toxic chemicals are being leased, um, un- unleashed into the atmosphere and slowly but surely, but on a sort of regular and ongoing uh, situation, unleashing you know these dangerous chemicals into the atmosphere. They're sort of, um, a lot of people kind of buy into the theory of like aluminum you know, which aluminum in, um, you know, in it's just filtered down to the smallest point. Potentially, I mean, it can actually, you know, affect people's mindsets, you know, their, their mind. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting research done to show the connections between, like, for example, aluminum and Alzheimer's. So basically, the conventional scenario, if, you, if there is a conventional scenario for all of this, is that chemtrails are being used to dumb down the population 
create health issues and again just provoke more and more anxiety and depression in in society but um that aside it, it's sort of the population angle the idea that there are people who are one way or another want the human population to be drastically cut down in terms of the number of people who actually are on the planet that's sort of what a lot of researchers see as the the primary goal if you like well i mean if you want to if that's just the goal why not just keep going the way we're going because to your point people are not going outside as much people are not meeting other people as much mm. the growth rate of the population by what i've seen is is slowing from what it used to be people are mm. are waiting you know we as a society we have stressed have a career versus have a family so we've our whole society has changed gone is the idea that you have to be you know in a in a monogamous two parent household we can do it all by ourselves simple single moms all the kind of the breakdown of the american family or the family in general why yeah. not just keep going that way the, you know eventually people will have relationships online they'll never actually see anyone you will ha- you will see this drop in the population especially since our our population is aging right now with that huge baby boom group that's mm. n- now at the point where they're going to be um dying off yeah. Right. right? Um, okay. So I also wanted to talk just briefly about NASA because NASA has had, in terms of government conspiracies and or, you know, just kind of shadow uh, organizations, you hear people who don't believe a word of what NASA says, right? They were they were founded by Nazis, pulling all the Nazis over from Germany, Operation Paperclip. There, we're not actually, we haven't actually gone to the moon. We haven't achieved anything outside of low Earth orbit. What is your stance on NASA? What is your uh, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, this is, again, like another one where I sometimes agree and sometimes differ with other people um, as it relates to, you know, some of the conspiracy theories that have been put forward um, in the direction of NASA itself. I mean, certainly one of the most visible things that's talked about today is what's known as the secret space program. The idea that, you know, after the several um, flights to the moon, you know, we walked on the moon and it all ended in 1972. Right. You know, then we had the space shuttle, uh, which is gone now as well. And we really don't have much of a manned space program anymore. You know, we're sort of working in tandem with the Russians using the international space program, uh, international uh, space satellite. So in, in that sense, you know, what we're looking at is a situation where for many people, NASA has become sort of a shadow of what it was in the late 60s through the 70s and early 1980s. No doubt about a lot of people think that. However, when it comes to this issue of the secret space program, you know, the theory is that NASA has like a like a hidden aspect to it where maybe they really have gone clandestinely back to the moon. Hmm. Maybe, you know, they've even made missions to Mars. That's that's the scenario that the adherence to the um, secret space program uh, stick to. Now, my personal view is I don't think that NASA is guilty of sort of creating this secret space program which and it would not surprise me if it if it does exist clandestine flights to mars using highly advanced technologies way beyond what we had in the 70s but i think there's a distinct possibility that somebody 
has a secret space program. Whether it works out of Area 51 or somewhere like that, I don't know. But I think in this case, I don't think NASA is a guilty party. I think they genuinely are doing, you know, a lot of good work and they're limited by the technology. But I think somebody has technology far beyond NASA. And it's whatever that group is, a cabal or who knows, a secret, you know, program which gets its funding through black budget operations, that kind of thing. I would not be surprised if somebody has managed to do something that none of us would ever have thought would have happened, gone to different planets, back to the moon, and not told us that I could see that have happened. But I think in that case, I think NASA is out of the loop, actually. See, I just have a hard time getting the rationale as to why you would do that and not tell us. So whether it was NASA or anyone else, what's well, the what's the benefit of hiding it? Well, I mean, if there's nothing to say and nothing new and nothing amazing, I, I, I would agree with you that there's yeah. actually no impetus to, to even do that. But, you know, I mean, one, one of the things that interests me a lot are the some of the strange photographs that have come back from, from NASA, from Mars, which do actually seem in some pictures, you know, to show remnants of structures mm-hmm. and technology and things like this. And I don't believe it's all just, you know, sort of like pareidolia, which is the, the eye sees what it wants to see. I think there's more to it. And I sometimes wonder if the reason for making clandestine missions back to Mars maybe because something's been found on Mars that maybe has a tie, you know, with our ancient civilizations in the distant past, mm-hmm. um, the possibility of some sort of advanced civilization that existed on Mars maybe destroyed itself. But also intriguing theories that maybe they're still there, you know, just hanging on for the, the final stages, if you like, deep underground under Mars. That That's an interesting little theory, you know. And, yeah. um, I sometimes wonder if possibility, the the simple um, answer is they don't tell us what's going on Mars because it could impact on our history and whoever's pulling all these strings wants, does not want any issues to complicate situations and evidence that there could have been life on Mars and it could still be there does complicate situations. My last question then tonight is, in your opinion, what can be done at this point, if anything, to slow down the path that we're on or be able to take back our sense of of privacy at all? I, I completely agree. I think you might have made the point. When I'm out of my house, I have no problem being on on camera. I have no problem that that companies or corporations or businesses that I go into want to have surveillance cameras for their own safety or for, you know, um, legal reasons. I'm totally fine with that. Where I want to have that choice is inside my own home. And I don't have uh, the Alexas or the Ring door knobs there. I don't have those things, but I do have a smartphone. And that smartphone is a an open microphone at all times. Uh, so, what can we do now? Is there anything that we can do, in your opinion? What would be the, the options for us going forward to maybe regain some of our privacy? Well, I mean, in one sense, you could say it's like an enormous task to try and, you know, have this balance between 
the the good side of more and more advancing technology and the downside of that same technology being used to essentially just keep watching us 24-7. Mm-hmm. The, the goal is to, for me at least, is to, is to make the balance between the two. You know, nobody's saying we, we shouldn't watch people who are dangerous. Of course we should. But that doesn't in- mean that some, you know, somebody's elderly grandma in Wisconsin or something needs to be watched, you know, when she goes through the airport. Of course she doesn't. Um, so what I would hope is that in the future, common sense would come back. Okay. We need a way to realize that kids can go outside and play, you know. Um, and I think, but I think more than anything else, the there's one way. If people are sort of, you know, angered by this or angered by that, and they don't want to do this and they don't want to be told to do that, well, all it, it could come down to one thing that it sounds like it couldn't be done, but it could be done, and that is for seven or eight billion people all in tandem say no. <laughs> You know, right? But it requires everybody to say, "We want things back how it used to be, but with but with the technology that is is helping us." And that's what we don't have. We don't have the balance. And if if eight billion people said, "We're not going along with this," eight billion people walked the streets and mm-hmm. demonstrated. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with exhibiting your thoughts on this. And if 8 billion people do that constantly, then the world could come back to how it should be. But it requires those people to come forward and everybody says, look, this is what has to be done. And it won't, society won't collapse. We'll just develop a sort of a good balance between to progress, but also not to forget the past as well. Yeah, they're going to have to shake off a lot of the current chains that we're under before that happens, but I, I agree with you. Uh, thank you so much, Nick, for joining the show tonight, You oh, know, providing me some, some, some very good uh, insight on the topic. Um, would you like to spend another moment and let listeners know, I don't know if you make personal appearances or you have a book signing coming up. I know you have, I'm sure you have a, a, a new book coming out soon. Anything you want to plug? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I have um, a book actually coming out at the start of April called, it's actually called Assassinations. It's like an A to Z of assassinations going from, like, for example, ancient Egypt and Julius Caesar, right through the famous ones like um, JFK, RFK, um, Martin Luther King. And actually, there's a a significant chapter in there on the microbiology scientist's death. So that's Mm. assassinations. That'll be out at the start of April. Then in May, I'm speaking um, at the Contact in the Desert um, UFO conference at Palm Springs. And people, if people want to contact me, I've got a blog called World of Whatever. So just look up Nick Redfern, World of Whatever. You'll see my blog. And um, people can reach me on Twitter and Facebook as well. Awesome. Again, thanks so much, Nick. And uh, I would love to, like I said, do have probably seven or eight other topics. I'd love to have you back on the show at some point and maybe discuss some of those as well. Uh, But I really appreciate your time this evening. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Thanks. So that was Nick Redfern. We were talking again about control. 
Uh, why do corporations, why does the government, why do they want the control and what are they doing to get it? How are they getting it? Uh, I think a lot of it has come down to the point now where we are breeding children who are in control. You know, they, the media, the internet has pushed this narrative now that you can't go outside, you can't interact, uh, or you're going to die. Point blank. Coronavirus, you can't go outside, you, you can't get together with uh, a lot of d uh, differing individuals, or you're going to die. You can't go outside after dark, or you might be killed. Stay inside, watch some television, play on the internet, play on your phones, be safe. They've really gotten to the point where everything is kind of under control. And we do have a lot of individuals now who don't ever go outside and, and look up and, and wonder anymore. You know, we're told everything. We're fed everything. Um, we're, we're watched and monitored constantly. Well, what do you think? Do you think that there is anything that we can do at this point? Or do you like it the way it is? Maybe you like it the way it is. I know I talked to um, uh, Ryan O'Shea a couple months back, and he had a much more altruistic view on it, a much more positive spin on the emergence of technology, the emergence of the internet, the internet age, the, the messing with our DNA, messing with RFID chips. And maybe that's right. Maybe we'll get to that point where he is the one that's, that's correct. But um, it's an interesting topic to me because I, I definitely want to have that, that ability to say no in my own house. So again, what do you think? Do you have any concerns about the way we're going? Do you think there's anything that we can do now to prevent us be, from being just completely, like he was saying, just basically walking zombies within 20, 30 years? Never leaving your house, having your food delivered to you, never having a real interaction with another human being. Everything's done online. And you end up being um, uh, like that movie with Bruce Willis. And I can't, I can never remember the name of that movie when I need to. I think it was uh, replicant or something like that, but it was a it was a good movie where they lived their entire lives through a robot. The people were actually in a house. The robots went out and and did their daily interactions. It, it was a fascinating idea. If you have any comments or questions or concerns about what we've talked about today, you can contact us on our email address. It's provemewrongcast at gmail .com. Drop me a line anytime. If you have suggestions for other people that to talk to other guests for the show, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, drop us a line, prove me wrongcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll bring you on the show. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram. The name is just Prove Me Wrong. You can go on there and search, you'll find us. If you're just looking for the podcast itself, obviously we're on SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, really any platform that you find podcasts, you can find the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Like and subscribe to the podcast page, and you will be notified when a new episode is re uh, released. Also, we're on YouTube. You can see right here on this scroll. Like and subscribe to the page on YouTube. That way, as new content is delivered, we deliver every week. Once, uh, once a week, we have a new episode. You'll be the first to hear it. You won't have to go searching for it, and you can keep up with the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Before we go then, I would like to say... We're also brought to you tonight by Zendozone Citronella Burners from J.T. Eaton. They are shaped like fearless little bug-repellent tiki gods. So let Surf and Stan, Hawaiian Howie, and Luau Lily bring the islands back to your backyard with Zendozone Citronella Burners. 
Zendo Zones uses natural 3% citronella candles and incense cones. They're perfect for patios, decks, backyards, campsites, poolside, and more. You can enjoy the outdoors again. You can find them on Amazon and select Ace Hardware stores. So collect them all today. So once again, for my guest, Nick Redfern, I am Pete Lieb. This is the Prumeron Podcast, and we'll see you again soon.